Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Utton and Withrow is underway. Thursday edition is here. Big show plan, jam-packed. Trey Wallace joins us coming up in 20 minutes. A, a lot to discuss across the, the college football landscape and much more. Michael McHenry, the fort, joins us with Major League Baseball news and notes and opinions. That's coming up later this hour as well. Armando Salguero is back. He'll be in on tomorrow's show. And he joins us to talk NFL headlines, which includes DeAndre Hopkins, Saquon Barkley, and Bill Belichick. A, a lot to get into there. Plus, uh, Chad, we will be joined by Ramon Diaz Jr. The discussion all week and all weekend was about Northwestern football. Former Northwestern player Ramon Diaz Jr. has detailed how he was hazed and the toxic culture within the program whenever he played from 2005 to 2008. And he will join us uh, and we'll be able to have that discussion in hour number three. Jack, good afternoon. Good afternoon. He claims uh, that uh, it caused post-traumatic stress disorder with him uh, playing in the program. So we'll talk to him. And to my knowledge, Hutton, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ramon Diaz Jr. is the only current or former player that is on record with something negative to say. Plenty of current former players have stuck up for their coach, right. saying everything was fine. And, of course, the current players released that statement and that letter to everyone. But I think Ramon Diaz Jr. is the only player that's on record with his name attached to it talking about these issues. So uh, great job by our team setting this up, yeah. getting him on the show. I got a lot of questions for him. You know, I got a lot of questions about what happened then, what he said after. Did he say anything? Uh, what else did he see with other players? There's a lot of claims. And why the, now? The Daily Northwestern is after it, too, where they've got people not on the record, but former black players, a black member of the staff, I think an assistant coach that didn't put their name with it, but anonymously talked about kind of a, a racist vibe around the program. Hutton, it strikes me a lot of Iowa. The claims made against Kirk Ferentz. It's a lot of the same it's, stuff. It's easy to draw Cut those your hair. You know, you're not in the hood anymore. A lot of statements like that being made to African-American players. That, that's the claim coming down with Northwestern. But it does seem very similar. Um, and not all that shocking given the racial dynamics of those programs, which are majority white programs when you look at Northwestern and Iowa. So a lot of different layers of this story to get into, not just the hazing allegations, but the racism allegations. We'll talk to Ramon Diaz Jr. coming up. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, same here. A great discussion there with details uh, of behind the scenes with the culture there at Northwestern. Chad, time for Scorched Earth here on Hot Mike, the top headlines today. And we start with Rory McIlroy. And speaking of Scorched Earth, that's what he would like to do to the uh, Live Golf and the tour uh, funded by the uh, – Saudi-backed public fund, and he has doubled down on that yet again, tripled, quadrupled, however you want to put it. There's a report that's out, and, and it was from a document that was released 
through what we were seeing and hearing from the U.S. Senate hearings involving this merger between Live Golf and the PGA Tour, where there was an initial pitch back in April um, about Rory and Tiger having the ability to own a Live team that was quickly shot down by the PGA Tour in those talks. They said, no, that's not going to happen. But Rory was then responding to this because he finished his first round at the Scottish Open and says, if Live Golf was the last place to play golf on earth, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. I'd play the majors, but I'd be pretty comfortable. That from Rory, who still is crushing it at the majors. He's uh, right there in contention and has been a vocal supporter and loyal player for the PGA Tour, despite what we saw at the top and a handful of the, the board members with the PGA Tour. What do you make of this? Because the, I, the vibe is this is going to happen. It's a question of not if, but when, because all of the Saudi money and this and how they've tried to put money into other sports or uh, racing teams, F1 and, and elsewhere. No, they've never been shot down or not allowed to do so. And, yeah. and the idea is it's going to happen. It's just language now with attorneys. Yeah, I, I talked about this, I think, yesterday or, or maybe the day before about, you know, is someone really going to put their money where their mouth is on this? We talked about Randall Stevenson, I think was the guy's name, the former AT&T, yes. AT&T chairman, CEO, that resigned because of this merger with Liv yep. because he's got moral issues with it. And I said, well, good for him. You know, He's actually standing on something and saying, yeah, I'm not going to deal with it. And then I posed the question, who's going to be the first PGA Tour professional that spoke out against Liv so vehemently that's going to now retire or just step away and say, I'm not going to be involved with this? And, and I'm glad that Rory is saying this. I, I believe that he believes it. I think, Hutton, we're also dealing with semantics in this. Because he's saying, well, if Liv is the last tour on earth, then I'll just retire right. and I'm going to be comfortable. Well, you're not going to ever be playing technically for Liv because the value and the, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia understands this. The value of the brand is PGA, but you are working for the Saudi public investment fund. Yeah, they bought golf. Yes, they bought into it. Now, they're not a majority owner, but they are one of the owners. They are a stakeholder in it. Well, so but, they are one of the bosses of the league now. So, But they, they, they still are, based on the details reading through it, Like you still have to go through the governor of the public investment fund Oh yeah, no, to, to get things approved. So technically, even though there's not they're, majority, they're one of the, they have they're the one veto of power. The, yeah, they're one of the people that make decisions for PGA Tour. So... I get what he's saying. I like that he's so principled about it. But you already are on live. It's just now called PGA. They bought into it and merged. So now live is PGA. They want to be PGA. They wanted that from the beginning. They started live so they could force PGA's hand to have a seat at the table. Well, they've got that now. So this group is one of your bosses. And oh, by the way, you're, you're meeting with them in Dubai yeah, in last November, November, you know yeah. they've golfed in proams together, so they hung out and uh, again the first I, meeting was. In, I at appreciate Formula One. I appreciate Roy McIlroy standing on principle and all this, but what we're talking about now is semantics because he is on Live. It's just Live is now called PGA, and the guys who ran Live are now part of the group running PGA. That's simple.
Chad, the uh, ESPYs last night, we knew this uh, going in, that the U.S. Women's National Team was receiving the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Uh, ESPN is going to ESPN, uh, and we're not watching the ESPYs. So I mean, if the ratings are down and the ESPYs suck, why, you know, why pay attention to an award that ESPN is handing out on behalf of the U.S. Women's National Team? And uh, last night was a great case in point where they're taking Will Kane's comments about equal pay out of context. We'll play that audio later. They are pointing to equal pay for both the women's and men's national teams and celebrating them as heroes and uh, courageous, even though they're currently in a lawsuit against their own employer, against their own national team. And... Here we are with the ESPYs yet again making the headlines based on the Courage Award, which we've seen over the years, be controversial. Are we going to get into the audio that was twisted? We've got that later, yeah. Okay, coming up later? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, and I'll, I'll talk more about this later. I, I am being completely honest right now. I didn't know the ESPYs were on last night. I completely forgot about it until this morning. I, I knew the story I, about the U.S. Women's National Team. I had read a tweet about Pat McAfee doing something. I think he gave the opening monologue. I haven't gone back and watched any DeMar of it. DeMar Hamlin. And I think the bigger, yeah, DeMar Hamlin is going to be a part of LeBron James gave a speech at some point. Patrick Mahomes was on stage. I saw all these things on Twitter. I've not watched a second of the broadcast. And I've talked about this before, but that's a real statement that I, I didn't care. I didn't know much about it. I mean, this was for years. When you go back to that Jim Valvano speech, yeah. that's iconic. And this was an, an annual event. I mean, Hutton, you and I hosted a, a local radio show in Nashville for years, and this was required viewing. You watched the ESPYs, and you, fin- you spent the first 30 minutes of your show the next day reacting to the ESPYs because the sporting community was watching the ESPYs. So you better be prepared to talk about it. I feel no urge or desire to talk about it now because I don't think the sporting public cares or watched it, quite frankly. The other issue that I have is apparently DirecTV is in dispute with ABC, so I don't get ABC when it was on. When I saw that, I tried to go back and replay it. Oh, yeah. Didn't get that either. But I, I wouldn't well, have cared either way. And it's, I mean, isn't that a big statement about where this award show has fallen in the yes. sports world? Yeah, it's an afterthought. Yeah. It's an afterthought. Now, what they did with Will Kane's thing is very dishonest. Yes. And we'll get into that later. Um, Chad, uh, Saquon Barkley... Diana Rossini says that it could definitely happen that he holds out uh, going into the regular season. The Giants will play the Cowboys in week one. The deadline for Barkley to sign the franchise tag, which is tendered at $10.1 million for this upcoming season, and once he signs his name, it's fully guaranteed. He has said repeatedly he's not going to play for the franchise tag. The Giants have been in contract negotiations with him. The reports are they offered him around $14 million on average annually. That would put him right behind Christian McCaffrey for the highest paid. But if he doesn't sign by Monday's deadline, we could see him actually hold out. And it's a huge mistake. I would take the $10 million guaranteed, especially for that position, and make sure that I'm covered. He's had an injury history. Josh Jacobs has talked about doing this in, in, with the Raiders out in Vegas. There's just not enough leverage at the position. And while he's at the top of his game right now, where he was fourth in rushing yards, 
and uh, had 50 or 60 catches out of the backfield with Daniel Jones there. And they've got a solid coaching staff surrounding him, and it's now just not on him to do everything when he's available. I don't blame the Giants for going about the contract discussions the way they did with Daniel Jones versus the top running back and the former number two overall pick in Barkley. I don't blame Barkley for wanting to be paid more, but if I'm guaranteed $10 million just by signing the paper, I'm doing it by Monday's deadline. Yeah, his leverage is not as strong as it probably should be based on his importance to that team. Sure. We had Eddie George in studio. He, he mentioned the word leverage three or four times and what his advice would be to current running backs in the NFL. And the bottom line is that these guys just don't have the leverage they once held at that position because it is seen as something that's very replaceable. Now, with Saquon Barkley, I don't think he's that replaceable for what he does for the Giants currently. It's right. not like you can go pluck anyone out of thin air and say, well, we'll pay a guy nothing or the, you know, the, the rookie minimum, and he's going to be Saquon Barkley. No, he's one of those special running backs in the league that is different. So maybe he gets more of what he wants in this thing, but I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see a team bending to the will of any running back in 2023 NFL. If not, they'll just invest in another one, another yep. young player that they can – run into the ground at a much cheaper rate instead of investing in a player that recently has an injury history but came back last year, and when he was running and gunning, it was phenomenal. They were really good when all of the cylinders were firing for the New York Giants. They, they need him. The question is, is he going to be there for training camp or possibly week one instead of just taking the $10 million, cashing that into the bank and performing the way he did uh, a year ago, and then he gets the big money somewhere else. Uh, unless the Giants want to tag him again. And that's where the leverage lies. It's with the team, not the position. John Morant and his attorneys, they held a, a hearing about the civil lawsuit that is ongoing that dates back to the incident where Morant and uh, one of his friends, Devontae Pack, were and have been alleged to have punched Joshua Holloway. At the time, Holloway was 17 years old, and we've referenced this uh, quite a bit when going back through the timeline of Morant. They're, they've been approved through a motion where he can now argue, his team, his legal team can argue in this civil case, self-defense. And they, were, they had some other motions earlier. Now it's self-defense, and the judge said, yeah, you, you can do that. You, you can make that case, and we'll see where we take it from here. I, I'm intrigued by it. Because one side is saying one thing, you have Holloway and uh, another family member, I believe, that is describing things a different way, including Morant coming back out of the home and having the gun in his shorts and, and almost like showing it off casually after the alleged punch took place. Chad, the details were that uh, Morant's dad was kind of egging them on a bit, especially Holloway saying, hey, you got Ja here. You got you to take him. Go after him. Take him to the rim. Go after him. And that got physical, and it led to this, which is now in civil court. Yeah, and there's a law in Tennessee called the Stand Your Ground Law, and this is what they're citing as what they're going to say it should be dismissed, the civil lawsuit, because of the Stand Your Ground Law, mm -hmm. and that Ja Morant was simply standing his ground. That, that's a very difficult argument when only one person was punched, and to my knowledge, only one person had a weapon and showed the weapon. 
I, I, I could totally buy self-defense if another punch was thrown and or someone was threatening you with a weapon or showed off a weapon, and then you went and showed off your weapon in response, right? Then, okay, now I get where this is going, but everything that we know that's been alleged so far shows John Morant to me as the aggressor in, in this situation. So, look, I'm sure he's got good lawyers. We don't know the full story. More of it may come out, but everything that Holloway has said in this civil lawsuit, if it's not all being refuted by John Morant, I, I, don't, I don't know how they're completely getting out of this. So, the, But the other part of it, correct me if I'm wrong, is Holloway also made a threat about coming back, uh, going home yeah, and then the, coming back to, right, with a gun, right? right. Uh, again, you know, it, but if he doesn't have a gun on him, I think that's still difficult to say. I was just defending myself from a guy who didn't, was not armed when I brought a weapon to, to this fist fight. That, oh, by the way, I'm the one throwing fisticuffs. Right. He, he didn't punch me. That's tough. There'll be further details. Tough claim. Uh, we'll dive into those as soon as they uh, come out through the civil case. Trey Wallace joins us next. A lot to discuss, including Ed Orgeron and Northwestern. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow rolls on. Our goal to make the, uh, the next two hours plus fly by for you on your workday on this Thursday. And if you're viewing us, uh, you can uh, on YouTube, hope you'll subscribe to the Outkick channel. You can join Chad in the chat. And you can also go to Outkick.com and check out great content from our uh, next guest. Trey Wallace joins us, covers all things college football for Outkick. And uh, the Trey Wallace podcast available now at the site. Trey, hope things are well. Yeah, guys. Uh, hope everything's well in Nashville. Y'all are getting ready for a party next week. And, uh, man, it should be a lot of people in town starting on Monday. Actually, starting on Sunday. And then I forgot there was a darn concert going on, I think, Saturday night at Nissan Stadium. So I'm trying to decide when I'm actually going to head into town. <laughs> it's Beyonce. At Nissan Stadium Saturday and Blink-182 at Bridgestone Arena Sunday night. Uh, both tickets are expensive. Okay, uh, Blink-182 then Sunday night. Yep. Sunday night's the plan then. Okay, there all right, go. I'll take it. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a crowd of people on Sunday night too, Trey. Just get ready. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, the, the first headline, the, the commissioner, Greg Sankey of the SEC, is extended uh, on his contract through 2028. This is a formality. Like They could extend him as long as he wanted to. Uh, uh, contractually, uh, based on the job he's done and the power he holds across college athletics. Yeah, I, I, I think. Look, I mean, they could have put year twenty thirty one in there if they wanted to. <laughs> I mean, it, it really did not matter. Um, Greg Sankey is, has has been at the forefront of what we have seen in in college football, whether that be the playoffs, whether that be in the trying to get, navigate, you know, NIL. Um, you know, building and trying to build one of the biggest and baddest leagues in, in college football right there with the Big Ten. And 
you know, it, it, it you know, I, I go back and, and look what he did, you know, years ago. Um, I say years ago now with Texas and Oklahoma, when they joined the conference, you know, it, it, it set things off. And, and for Greg Sankey right now and the job that he is doing, Jonathan, I think that this is a formality. Yes. Greg Sankey is going to hang around until he is done. And he wants it until he look, he, another thing too is, you know, I was texting with somebody a minute ago about this. Like he could serve, you know, in any capacity when it comes to the new college football playoff format and yes. still be involved in an everyday role with the Southeastern Conference. And I think that is one of the big things that stands out to, to Sankey is that, and I think you guys would both agree with me here, I think his role changes within college football drastically over the next five to eight to ten years. And, and so, look, I, I don't look at the number on the on the year that he's there, 2028, I just think this is setting up for more for Sankey down the road. He's only 58, too. You know, there's no telling over the next decade what he's done and the leadership that uh, he will possess that those across this college landscape will follow. Well, and and also the other thing, too, guys, is to remember, I mean, there's going to be more expansion in, in, in the SEC, in the Big Ten. We'll see what the ACC decides to do or if teams decide to get out of that. Um, so, you know, I, I would expect in the next five years, we're going to hear expansion talk again. I think more teams are, are going to be in the fold and he's going to be at the forefront of that, uh, with, with the Southeastern conference. And when it comes to the, you know, the big 10, okay, they're, 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 they're bringing in a new commissioner. They're trying to figure out how they're going to you know roll out USC and UCLA. I think, you know, in, in my personal opinion, Probably the third best commissioner, probably second best right now because we don't know about Tony uh, Petitri up at, at the Big Ten. Um, I think Brett Yormack has done a really good job with the Big 12. So uh, Greg Sankey deserved it, deserved any kind of money that he's getting on top of this right now, and, and he'll be around for a very long time. Trey, a story out there talking about leading the way in, in college football or at least attempting to. Greg Sankey could be in that position collectives in the future could be in that position. And there are seven NIL collectives that have formed the entity known as the Collective Association. Um, Tennessee, Georgia, Michigan, Ole Miss, just to name a few of these. Uh, They're trying to take a a leadership role here, Trey, and it it seems to me like they're also trying to form the outline of a rule book of how these collectives should operate and have a straightforward system for every program competing at the highest level to do things on the up and up and to make sure that kids are signing into something that's legit when they do it. I I think this is a a good story for the future of college sports. If they can figure it out, at least someone's taking the initiative to do so. Yeah, look, I I think it's I think it's great that this thing is, is started off. I was talking with my buddy NIL Pete, uh, Pete Schoenthal, who runs Athlions. Uh, we were discussing many things about the way NIL was going to go over the next number of years. And I think the way that we look at it right now, when it comes to what these collect these collectors are getting together and they're trying to form an outline of what NIL can and will look like over the next five to 10 years. Right now, it, it's, you know, I hate to turn, I don't like the term wild, wild west, but you know, you, you've got different states with different rules and you've got collectives with different rules. And, and look, 
They're trying to find the narrow path to where everybody's doing the same thing. It's just fundraising and whatnot can be different on how each collective goes. I, I think them forming, quote, association, I think it helps it. Look, they're not going to be giving away trade secrets about what they're doing when it comes to each university, but they are going to be helping each other when it comes to if collectives, and here's the biggest thing I take away. If collectives want to be around in five to 10 years, you've got to figure out a way to make this thing stable. You've got to figure out a way that these players know what they're getting into. These coaches know what they're getting into. And, and also, if we do get to the part where Congress is going to get involved, this collective association is trying to lay the groundwork in terms of what type of regulations can there be uh, when, when it comes to the federal part of this. So I, I agree. I think it's a good thing for college football. I think there are so many questions out there, Chad, right now concerning where we are uh, in the NIL world. Uh, and, they're, and look, they're trying to answer these questions. Um, but I, I think that forming a committee, getting together, sharing some notes on how you got to this point or or, or how you're fundraising in a sense, you know, not giving away numbers, but how you're doing this, this, and this, I think it only betters college football. I think it only helps them in a sense of how to navigate this thing going forward, because we cannot continue doing what we're doing right now with NIL, because as we've seen recently, there are some collectives out there, they're running out of money in a sense of well, they spent so much on the 2022 class, they don't have enough for the 23 class. Or they don't, you know, they're spending so much on the 23 class, they don't know what the 24-25 class looks like. So what I'm getting at is that you have to figure out that boundary, that line, when it comes to revenue. And I, I think this is a great way, just one of the ways that this association can help that. Yeah, and the Jaden Rashada story at Florida is a classic example. The, the other collectives don't want to see those headlines because it makes them look like used car salesmen and not on the up and up. And you get a one bad headline like that, and they all look bad. And just reading through the language, some of this is making sure that everything they do is buttoned up. That if they're well, going to the offer Jay a contract yeah. to a kid, they can fulfill the contract and it can work out for both the collective and the kid. I, I think that's important part of this if they're going to have a better standing with everyone. Well, right? the Jaden the Rashada thing, guys, I mean, we all remember it. I mean, and I'll break it down real, real fast for you how it went down. They promised Jaden Rashada money. The booster pulled back at the last minute and said, wait a minute, I'm not going to get a return on this. Why am I putting in so much money for this kid? So they pulled back on the money that was offered. Jaden did not sign with Florida. There was a bunch of different hands in the pot on who's putting the contract together and what collective is doing this, this, and this. And as we have seen now at Florida, they've changed collectives. They, they've tried to rebrand uh, under a new name with new people. So that was a screw up that makes all collectives look bad at the same time. So I don't suspect you're going to see anything like the Jaden Rashada thing ever again. Trey, biggest story in college sports is what's going on at Northwestern. You wrote it out, kick.com. You can read it right now that the decision by Northwestern to retain the assistant coaches could be really good news for Pat Fitzgerald and now the legal fight that begins for him to get his buyout money. 
I don't understand it. And, and I've spoken with coaches all around college football and, 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 and the coaches that, that I spoke with were flabbergasted because, you know, their main point to me was, Oh, wait a minute. If I was involved in something, if, if I knew about something, the head coach is damn well sure going to know about know about it, but you're telling me I get to keep my job. It, it a lot of it doesn't make sense. This is great for Pat Fitzgerald. The fact that Northwestern said, and they didn't say this, but I'm paraphrasing. This is what I've heard from folks. Man, we're three weeks away from the start of fall camp. How in the world do we get rid of an entire staff and be able to put a season together? They did not fire these assistant coaches because they knew fall camp was around the corner. And they knew that they had to prepare for the 2023 season. If they'd have gotten rid of every assistant coach that they thought knew about it or should have known about it, wouldn't have a coaching staff. You know, we're, we're in a different situation. This is not like John L. Smith coming in for a year at Arkansas and is going to be the interim coach, but all the assistants stay. You know, it feels like Northwestern is just going to go this, you know, interim route for this season. And then they're going to, in my opinion, after the season's over, a lot of these assistant coaches, whether they knew or not, and it's an unfortunate situation for some of these guys going from assistant coach all the way down to a quality control or quality assistant coach. It's unfortunate because they're going to be let go. Um, and, and I think if this would have happened in May uh, or, or, or early June, maybe there's something different that would have happened with, with, with these assistant coaches, but you can't tell me that's the biggest thing that stands out. You can't tell me that you're going to fire Pat Fitzgerald. And, and I'm not saying I don't disagree with what happened with Pat Fitzgerald, but you can't tell me that. And then turn around and keep the assistant coaches that I promise you, if there was something going on at Northwestern, they know about it. Assistant coaches know more about their players than the head coach does. And it's because they're with them, you know, 14, 15 hours a day in meeting rooms, on the practice field. They're texting their players at night to see, hey, how you doing? How's that breakup going with your girlfriend? Is everything okay? Like, I'm just, they're more involved. And, and that's nothing against Pat Fitzgerald or a head coach. He just can't be involved in the personal lives or hundred players. So I, I feel like that's where Northwestern kind of screwed themselves in this situation because if if Pat Fitzgerald lawyer smart, which I got a feeling he really is, they're going to come back and say, well, wait a minute, you fired me. You said that the evidence pointed that I didn't really know what was going on or I couldn't have, but you're telling me that you kept the arrest of the assistant coaches on staff and everybody else involved. It's such a messy situation right now that I would suspect that Northwestern is going to have to have a pretty nice settlement uh, for Pat Fitzgerald unless they just have some evidence that we haven't heard of yet. Final minute here, Trey, and it took only a minute or so, it felt like, uh, for the short-lived report that Ed Orgeron and Northwestern could be a thing. I, I wanted that to live a, a little bit longer than it did. I know Feldman has said that Orgeron and has shot this down, say he has no interest, and that Northwestern hasn't even reached out, but... Can you imagine Ed O in the Big Ten at Northwestern? No. Can you imagine him in Evanston, Illinois, uh, <laughs> and how that would have gone? Uh, the opening meeting with the players and with that going university. To too. I mean, it's like a plot going to, to Crocodile Dundee, you know, when he's just right. out of place in Chicago. It'd be amazing to watch. 
Hey guys, we're having a crawfish bowl today. Yeah. Okay, wait a minute. What's crawfish? Okay, you know, it's like it's one of those things. But yeah, it, look, it was short lived. It would have been fun. Everybody was making pictures, and then all of a sudden, what everybody should have done is just picked up the phone to Ed Orgeron and say, "Hey man, you actually interested in this job? Oh, you're not. Okay, good. Then we don't have to deal with this nonsense for two and a half hours. So, um, oil and it, water. That, it's college athletics, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, just the idea of Edo oh. pitching academics to a kid in the living room and recruiting—that <laughs> is funny I, to I, me. I don't know that he's ever done that. I mean, has he ever gone in and talked about uh, the biology department at a school that he's been at? But now he's like, got, you know, just hit the thinking about him and his pitch in the world of academia and what you, the degree you can get at Northwestern is hilarious to me. God bless Coach O. I bet he doesn't know where half these departments are on these campuses. So you know, not. it is. It is what it is. That's why. Look, we love Coach O. Yes. He's crazy. That's how he is. But man, Northwestern, come on, give me something better than that. If I want Coach O back, give me something in the South. That's how I'll take it. When was the last time a hundred thousand people showed up to watch a chemistry experiment? Would be what he would uh, claim. That's uh, <laughs> he would say that, but we wouldn't program. understand him as he said. No, it, well, we right? don't, we'd understand about two words. Uh, Trey, appreciate you. Uh, we look forward to uh, checking out the Trey Wallace podcast each and every week. You can find that at outkick.com and all of Trey's great work covering college football. He'll be here in Nashville with us covering SEC Media Days next week. Appreciate it, Trey. Michael McHenry is next. A lot to discuss with what Rob Manfred said at the All-Star Game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow here on the Outkick Network which you can find by listening to this great radio station, or you can also head over to YouTube. Search out Outkick, hit that subscribe button, pound the like button, the thumbs up. Smash it. Smash That's that right. like button every right. time. And hit the, uh, the reminder when we go live each and every day, 3 o'clock Eastern uh, here across the network. And you can check out all the shows uh, by doing that on the YouTube channel for Outkick. Michael McHenry joins us, Major League Baseball analyst. Our MLB analyst here on the show, part of the, the Pirates broadcast team as well. Fort, good to see you, man. Hey, good to see you guys. And I just broke my like button for you guys. That's it, perfect. It won't even work. Thank you. I used it so much. Uh, that's what, Miss what, you, Hutt, Chad, thank you for the recommendations and happy to be you here. You crushed it, man. Thank yeah, you for sitting uh, in. Uh, food that built America. You checked it out. I'm sure, did you like it? it? What was the review? I, I like it so far. I kind of didn't want to stop. It was like 2 in the morning. I, I got to go to bed. I mean, this this is good stuff. You'll also so gain some it. weight watching it because every single brand you watching. see on there, you're you're <laughs> like, I got to go out the next day and you know get me a, an original chicken sandwich or whatever it is that they're showing on it. Uh, it makes all you I wonder every time. It was a Wendy's hamburger. Yeah. So all I wanted. They kept saying it. I was like, Oh my gosh, my mouth was watering. Was it like, works. It, Power of suggestion. Mike, <laughs> did you take the, uh, the the comments made by Rob Manfred that they're considering Atlanta for the 2025 All Star Game and that? They named others. They're considering Chicago and Baltimore and Toronto as well. But just by Manfred mentioning that, knowing that the game was removed from, from Georgia, 
based on the the updated and changed voting laws that were enacted uh, at the time, the fact that they're being considered for 2025, I took that to mean they're going to get the All-Star game in 2025. I don't know if you felt the same way. I think it's a lot of backpedaling. I think he knows he made a mistake. He jumped to some conclusions and didn't maybe research enough to understand what was going on in Georgia. There's two sides to every story. He needed to understand that. Send it to Coors Field. I love Coors. They did a great job hosting, but you lost out on a great city in Atlanta. Everything's brand new, but they got a little bit of payback when they won the World Series. I thought that was outstanding. And the ball never lies is, is a statement I used to say when I used to play 21, the game outside. And the ball never lied right there. The ball told you exactly what should have been and should have had happen. They didn't do it that way. And honestly, guys, I take Rod Manford with a grain of salt. So, yes, he put some really good statements out there. He said the right thing. He did the politically correct thing, which he doesn't like politics. That's what he said about the A's and A's stadium. But the reality of it is here, if you look underneath the line thing, he says, we want to get back to places that haven't had the All-Star game in a long time. And he kept referring back to Wrigley Field. So I don't think he's going to give it to Atlanta. I think he's going to throw it to Wrigley and say, hey, they haven't had it for so long. And then you have 2026 already taken, 2024 already taken. So maybe 2027, you see it go back to Atlanta. Yeah, Rob Manfred doesn't like politics, but he does like, Mm -hmm. and he is okay with caving to one side politically if uh, there's a, a, you know, someone's mad about something. Um, He also comes back and says, and, and you said you take everything with a grain of salt on this, Michael, but. Talking about the Oakland A's, so that's going to be one of his biggest disappointments of his time as, as commissioner, that he could not keep the A's in Oakland. I, I, I hear that, though, Michael, and I think a year from now or two years from now, he's going to be bragging about being the commissioner that brought Major League Baseball to Vegas when it's a success also. So that he's talking out of both sides of his mouth here. And once again, he's completely blaming the political structure in the city of Oakland for everything that went wrong and nothing to do with ownership with the A's. You know, guys, I hear that little violin playing, you know, it's just, it's, it's whining. It's pitiful that he said this because it's not like the Oakland A's have changed over the last two decades. They've been a small market team. They haven't been drawing well. The stadium's been falling apart. I haven't played there in over a decade and it wasn't in good shape then. There, there was mold issues. There was a problem with seats falling apart then, and they've just let it go. They kind of showed their hand of what they were trying to do. They wanted to leave because there was more money, more opportunity in Vegas, and they knew that was right there for the grass. So they were not, in my in my humble opinion, they, they had no intention to stay in Oakland. They didn't care about the fans. They didn't care about the city because politically they were trying to figure this out. And if Major League Baseball wanted to figure it out, they could push forward. Maybe they could do a split ownership with the fans MLB and those guys that own the team in Oakland but they didn't want to do that they wanted to get out of there they wanted that huge plot of land where they could do similar to what the Braves have done have the battery have residential have retail have all those things so you can make more money if they did that in Oakland guys I want you to think about it that city's falling apart it has not been maybe structured very well there's a lot of drugs there's a lot of crime it's in a bad area if they did that for that city what would it have done all the jobs it would have brought, all the people that would have shown up maybe that haven't gone in years because they're scared to go into Oakland. Now they start going. That would have been remarkable for that city and for the people there. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors even went across the bay to build that new uh, arena. And and from Manfred's standpoint, I think he he's saying he, he could do both because they're talking expansion after the A's move and with the Rays. And if they could get the A's to stay in Oakland, 
Las Vegas would have been the expansion city with a new owner. Correct. And why not? I mean, baseball's thriving. I mean, I sent you, I believe I sent Davey a graphic that showed how much baseball has grown over the last year or two. It's been remarkable. We've talked so much about the sports are dying. This is dying. The reality of it is it continues to grow. And this is yep. one of the biggest years ever. I know the all-star game numbers were down, but everything else has been flying up. They could do a lot of different things. They could go into Nashville. They could go into Charlotte. They expand these divisions and make it, you know, a little bit better for guys that are fighting to get to the big leagues. Cause we'd see great talent coming to the big leagues. There's a lot of guys in AAA that have big league talent that just kind of fester there for a while. Then you get them at 24, 25. We've seen what these young guys can do in De La Cruz and Corbin Carroll and some of these guys that get up early and show their ability, show their talent and you get them for so much longer. I think that's really important. So yeah, why not expand the game? I'd love to see them also head back up into Canada, get another team in Canada, maybe bring back the Expos. That'd be really neat trying to go international. Why not go all in, have a team in Vegas, have a team in Oakland. If they can't figure it out, make them pay penalties, make them do things that maybe doesn't help the owner so much. And it doesn't hurt the city. Where you mentioned international, what will the expansion look like for major league baseball and their press to be more international? That's a great question. I think it starts with them changing the all-star game. I know Smoltz was talking about this pretty recently is, are they going to go to a world versus us? I would not like that for us right now because the international game is so, so good. And that's almost too big, but it brings back that world classic feel. And I think it'd be really, really neat to see in baseball, you know, seeing Mike Trout, Otani match up again, you have captain America versus you know, a legend from Japan. Who's kind of taken this game by storm over the last couple of years. Cause he's doing things that are unprecedented. So I think that'd be a first step, but they're starting to play. They just released the schedule. They're going, all over the world. I mean, they're going to play in South Korea. You have the Dodgers next year playing South Korea. They're going back into England. They're going to go to Mexico. They're going to play more games in Canada. You see them rebuilding a stadium in Birmingham, one of the oldest stadiums in the United States. They're going to revamp it, put all types of things around it and go play there. I think they're doing a lot of good when it comes to growing the game internationally. You got to mention the kid that got drafted top 10. He's from India. If that hits and that kid takes off, which he's a remarkable human being from everything I've heard, you have an entire different market. I'm talking billion of people. That's nuts. Michael McHenry, our guest here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. You mentioned Otani there. What are you what are you thinking happens? Do they trade him or don't they trade him by the deadline? And if so, do you have a team or two that you feel like is a no-brainer to trade for Otani knowing that they can get a long-term contract? You have to trade him. I I don't see him making the playoffs with Trout being down. You know, he just hurt his handmate bone. So he's out. Their pitching's kind of been iffy over the last couple of years. So I trade him and I try to get a haul back for him. I mean, literally just pull up your Brinks truck, pack in your prospects and drive away because you're not going to get this guy back. You're not going to sign him for $500 million. He's probably going to be one of the first guys to possibly get stake in ownership with a team or some other team in that city. This guy is a special breed of talent. I think the New York Mets, I think the Los Angeles Dodgers are ready to go and have literally structured their entire last couple of years to get Otani now. So they could be a team that goes after him and it changes the entire structure of their team and what they can do. And you're getting two for one. I mean, think about that. You're getting two players in one. It's a joke. So it's going to be very interesting. And just like I said last week, you can never, ever count out Cohen the way he throws around money. And Chad? I mean, if he's traded, if he stays in the AL, we could see him go at Judge's record that was just set 
Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I was. Uh, it was really mm -hmm. cool too with the All Star Game. A couple, you know, really neat moments was the uh, Mariners fans chanting "Come to Seattle" when Otani was batting was neat. And, and, he, then, and he said he loves the city. Yeah, and then having uh, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman mic'd up when he was batting <laughs> together. I love the mic'd up segments That's when cool. they're in the field. And they said, you know, hey, how about Otani as a Dodger? And I think Freddie Freeman said that would be tampering if we answer that, so we can't <laughs> say it. But then Mookie Betts said, but, you know, yeah, obviously we, we'd welcome him. You know, to, we'd, we'd, ha we'd happily welcome him to the locker room. Uh, I thought that was great for the game to see that and to see that response to this guy. And it is going to be an enormous story with whatever happens, uh, Michael. I, I, let me ask you this, because he has said that as the years go on, not winning is becoming more important to him, that the desire to win grows. If he goes to the Mets, is he going to be able to sell that, hey, I'm going to go there and win? I mean, I guess ultimately they will because they're willing to spend whatever it takes but what do you think about that decision? If this is really about, I want to go to an organization where I'm going to, I'm going to get paid a ton of money anywhere, but I want to go and win. W would the Mets make the most sense for that? Honestly, no. Uh, I, I think when you're pushing so hard, sometimes you lose sight of what's going on in the clubhouse, what's going on around you, and you're not talking to the people on the ground. And I was just with Tyler Matzik, and a bunch of his teammates were down in Georgia at a lake. I didn't see his teammates, but I did hang out with Tyler. And Tyler was talking about how good the Braves culture is and how the GM comes down the clubhouse. He talks to the guys. He wants to understand, hey, is this a good clubhouse guy? Does he fit what we have going on right now? And that's why they've locked up so many guys. I mean, they have almost an entire team locked up through 27, and they're all perennial all-stars. I mean, you look at what they've done there. They've built a group of guys that during their all-star break, you have five guys, some just came over in free agency this year. Some guys have been there for a while. They're all hanging out together, their wives, their family. That's special. I had that in 2012 and 2013 with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we ended up making it to the playoffs. We didn't get as far as the Braves did, but that's what builds that winning culture, and that's what Otani's looking at. That's why he said something about Seattle. He lived there a little bit, but he saw what the fans did and how it was almost like that 10th man yelling and screaming for him, but they also saw what they were doing for J-Rod every time he went to the plate and how special it was for him. I don't think he's getting that treatment in Anaheim. If he was, maybe you think about staying there because you do have another superhuman on that team. But I'm sure he's looking at the Dodgers and the way they took in Freddie Freeman, the way they've taken in Mookie Betts and some other superstars. But those dudes want to win. That's why I feel like LA's the front runner. I feel like they're going to go all in with them. That's Magic Johnson to a T. He wants to make a huge splash. And two, you think about all the money that's going to bring in, not just in LA, but internationally. So this guy's going to look at it from a lot of different spectrums he's going to get plenty of money so he may take less to go to the better culture final thing for you michael um players are advocating for a longer pitch clock in the playoffs is this going to get done and do you agree that that needs to happen yeah i don't want to see a game <laughs> in any stretch be taken away from the players on the field i don't want an umpire saying hey pitch clock violation or this happened or this happened i want them to play it outright so in my opinion, and I've talked to a lot of guys about this, is just do it 20 seconds all the time. There hasn't been a lot of issues with guys on base. There have been more issues when guys aren't on base. Guy goes and covers a base. And he's walking back. Anxiety's high. Heart's pumping, and he can't catch his breath. So give that guy that 20 seconds at all costs. Everything else should stay the same, but then you're universal all the way through. There's no changing because they're going to change the in-between time. So Apple yeah. games, Peacock games, anything that's – Right now, national games, they're 230. 
Everything else is 215. So the break is different. So guys have not adjusted all of that. And there's been more infractions during those games, I believe, last I looked. So maybe just keep it universal. Go 230 all the time and go 20 seconds all the time. We're still probably going to be under three hours almost every single game. The Fort McHenry is how you follow Michael on social. Michael McHenry has been our guest. Always great insight and analysis. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, guys. God bless. Yep, same to you, Michael McHenry. Getting it done. Great setup there, too. He does a great job. Yeah, he's great. Love having Michael on the show. As the co-host with Chad last week. Um, coming up, who knew the ESPYs were last night? And the NCAA tournament, it's not expanding now, but they're going to. And I don't like it. Details coming up next on Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow.